reading from the 17th chapter of the Acts of the Apostles, beginning with the 14th verse. The believers immediately sent Paul to the coast, but Silas and Timothy stayed at Berea. Those who escorted Paul brought him to Athens and then left with instructions for Silas and Timothy to join him as soon as possible. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to debate with him. Some of them asked, What is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, He seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about resurrection or about Jesus and the resurrection. Then they took him and brought him to a meeting of the Areopagus, where they said to him, May we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting. You are bringing some strange ideas to our ears, and we would like to know what they mean. All the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, People of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, To an unknown God. So you are ignorant of the very thing you worship, and this is what I am going to proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. For one man, he made all the nations. Excuse me. From one man, he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in his history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by human design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice, by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered, but others said, 
We want to hear you again on this subject. At that, Paul left the council. Some of the people became followers of Paul and believed. Among them was Dionysius, a member of the Areopagus, also a woman named Damaris, and a number of others. The word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. So here's Paul wandering around in a foreign land. If you've ever been somewhere that you weren't familiar with, or maybe you've moved somewhere, you might have noticed that you spent a little bit of time looking for landmarks. When I first moved to Tempe, Arizona, that one of the first things I learned is that all of the streets are laid out in a one square mile grid, all the major streets anyway. So all you really had to know was the cross streets and you could find any place in Tempe or Phoenix. It's pretty easy. But in places like we live, where the streets aren't necessarily straight or necessarily paved, you have to look for landmarks, and you learn those things. And sooner or later, you'll encounter directions where somebody said, well, you go down right there till you see that big tree that fell last year, and you take a left. You've all been there, right? Thank God for Google. But those are the kinds of things that people do when they go to a new place. They look around and see, and Paul had spent some time doing that. He was in the marketplace, the Agora, which was near the Areopagus Hill where the Areopagus Council met. In some translations, you might have read Mars Hill in in that text. So Paul was a sort of tourist in a sense, but he has an agenda. His purpose is to preach resurrection. To preach resurrection. He got him called a a funny name, and that's... I guess the the subject of my sermon this morning, a poet and a seed picker. That's what they called him, a spermologos. That's what is underneath the word babbler there. You know, when you call somebody a babbler, or if you've ever had somebody say to you, what are you babbling about? They're not inviting you to explain. They're inviting you to be quiet. I guess maybe I shouldn't let that out of the bag. Someone's feelings will be hurt. I think all the time somebody called him a, a babbler. But that's what's underneath that. And they're inviting Paul to to shut up, in a sense. What is this babbler going on about? They ask, what is this seed picker saying? Because Paul had been wandering around gathering information. And they had seen him do it. And they had seen him ask questions about what was going on here. What is this? And debating the people about what he saw. Paul was being, in a sense, a, a good philosopher. He was gathering information, which is also... Underneath that Greek word spermologos, it means a gatherer of information. My favorite literal translation of the Bible, Young's literal translation, gives us the term seed picker. I love that. They say, what What are you talking about, seed picker? Can't you just hear that? Underneath it is an insult because they think that what he is saying is a lowly philosophy. Because in Greek thought, the body was not sacred. The body was a trap for the soul. Plato taught that the soul came down from heaven, got trapped in a body, then the body dies and the soul gets free and goes home. We've heard that in a lot of Greek-sized Christianity that thinks that immortality of the soul is all this Jesus stuff is about when truly what it's about is defeating death completely, which means our bodies will be raised. You can check me on that. 1 Corinthians 15, books to the Thessalonians. It's in the book. So this seed picker shows up and wants to tell them that immortality of the soul is not the be-all, end-all. They don't want to hear it, so they call him seed picker. 
It's usually what people do when they want to make somebody look bad. They insult them while they're saying, and say, bless your heart, I can't believe you believe that. Or bless your heart, why would you say that? Or they ask you if you've been watching whatever news network they don't like. It's, a, it's code for how could you be so stupid as to think that? And that's what they're hitting Paul with here. It reminds me of a story of a friend of mine that I worked in two different architectural offices with. Um, delightful man, really delightful man, but a bit of a curmudgeon. Not a bit of a curmudgeon. He can almost be a professional at it. Um, Dave Barry was a curmudgeon, if any of you remember his, his um, comedy. But my friend got it honest. His father was a curmudgeon as well. And so I'm trying not to say my friend's name, but he was out in his yard one day working on his shrubbery, which is a weird, weird word. I've been practicing that this morning in my head. His shrubbery working, and I think if the story is that he was pulling something out of the ground. Now, he lived near a school, and some high school students happened to come by in a car because, you know, high school students like to get together and ride around in each other's cars, and they happened to see my friend in the yard ripping up this shrub is pretty sure, I think, how the story goes. And as they saw him doing this work and pulling it up and, and, and I want to say messing with the roots of the shrub, they all screamed out the window at him, <laughs> root picker, and kept driving. And the way Shell tells the story is they kept doing laps around the block while he was working and yelling out the, I just said his name, sorry Shell. <laughs> And they kept going around the corner there and coming around the block and yelling, root picker, root picker. And they do it, just kind of keep coming around the block. And the way I remember the story is they went around several, several, several times until finally Shell lost his mind and screamed at him. And so on the next lap, they yelled, victory lap. That's funny, right? You know, that's funny. And you can imagine the frustration that's built up there because there's no common ground. They don't, I guess the kids didn't understand what it's like to, to dig in the earth. I mean, I have days sometimes where what I really want to do is to get my hands dirty, get dirt on my hands, do something that involves being a created, embodied, physical person in a good creation created by a good God to celebrate the remarkable thing that the human person is, the body, soul, and spirit, and be connected to the dust out of which God made us. And if God made us out of that dust, how can this body be bad? It is part of God's good creation. And Paul stands as a, as a root picker of sorts, a seed picker, to tell the Greeks, you're almost there. You almost understand. You're reaching for someone, and I'm going to tell you who it is. Now, Paul, we don't know if he reacted like my friend did and yelled at him or not, but... Whatever he did, it got their attention, and they tried to insult him and put him down and cause him to be quiet. They tried to shut him up. But Paul has an important thing to say. An important thing to say. That God is not some deity sitting upon the top of a hill, some malevolent presence that wants to interfere and mess up people's lives and toy with people. That God is not someone that we have to appease to get to love us. But that God came to us in a person named Jesus of Nazareth to save us from sin and death and wrestle us from our idolatry and to cease our groping and to draw us near to him. 
There's a poet in the title also. His name is Epimenides. Seventh or sixth century, people aren't sure exactly when he lived, but he lives on in Greek lore. And I watched an interesting YouTube video that was filmed in Athens where some people there were talking about the importance of the Epimenides story and its connection to Paul. Some Greek Christians were talking about that. And I found it compelling. And I don't know if the story is completely true or not, or if it's one of those things that's a legend that makes so much sense that we receive it as a kind of truth, which those are just as true as things that actually happen. But the story goes that Epimenides had a dream during a great plague that assaulted Greece, or had a vision, or was standing in a pasture and saw some sheep. Those are three options, three different ways it's told. And he said to the people, to, uh, he prayed and said, if there's some God that we have not, have, have not appeased, give me a sign or something. And what came to Epimenides was that he should watch the sheep. And apparently there were black sheep and white sheep maybe out in the pasture. One way the story was told, said, and that, and that what he prayed was to the unknown God, if you will, whatever sheep bed down in the grass, we will sacrifice there to you. And so the story is that Epimenides had the people watch, and as, as the sheep would lay down on the grass, they would build an altar there for it to an unknown God and sacrifice that sheep to that unknown God. And that's where the unknown God thing comes from. So Paul, it is thought, is wandering around and seeing all of these altars, these little stone altars that Epimenides had the people build to sacrifice to an unknown God because they thought there was someone that they had not provided something for and that that God was angry with them had sent the plague. And that's a fanciful story. But it prepared the people to hear Paul. God worked through a poet and a seed picker to prepare these people's hearts to hear Paul speak about resurrection, about a seed that bursts forth from the earth. A seed named Jesus of Nazareth. So Paul comes and he says, I see all of your great temples and all these great places you've built and all these things that you worship." all of these idols, and I noticed that there was one that said to an unknown God, and essentially what Paul says, I'm here to tell you about him. I'm here to ease your ignorance of what you're worshiping. And so he tells them about the God of Israel who came incarnate in Jesus of Nazareth to give his life to wrestle humanity from the jaws of sin and death. And he tells them about Jesus and the resurrection. And resurrection in Greek is the word anastasis. And some of them thought that Paul was telling them about two new gods that they needed to be worshiping in order to have a healthy, happy economy in life. But instead, what he was telling them was about a God who came in person to give himself for them. For the Jews and Gentiles alike, for the whole earth. For all of creation to restore the whole universe to wholeness and restore the goodness even of the body. And they ask, what is this babbler talking about? Everyone knows the soul, the body is of no count. It's only the soul that matters. That's 
where they were pushing back. And so Paul tells them about Jesus of Nazareth who came, who died, and who was raised. A poet and a seed picker. God used them to guide these people was groping for God. It begs the question, what signs are in your life? What things are happening around you and in you, in your thoughts, in your heart, in your words of your spouse, your children, your friends, maybe even your enemies? They're causing you to ponder your relationship with the creator of heaven and earth. This one whom Paul lifts up. The one who created you desires that you would know him. That your body, soul, and spirit would be alive with his own life. The life that was breathed into you in the beginning. Jesus comes to restore that beginning. To set us aright. To begin new creation in us. To bring new life. And that's what resurrection is all about. It's not the restoring of old life. It's the creating of new life out of the old. It's bringing something new into being out of the old. And we know that because though Paul tells us that Jesus truly was raised in the flesh, he also tells us that we will be as he is, which implies that something was different about him, which is also implied in all of in the gospel appearances, the post-resurrection appearances, such as when Jesus appears in a locked room as if he's walked through the walls. We don't know what the resurrection body looks like, but we know for certain that we are not disembodied spirits for all eternity. This is not what the Bible teaches. And Paul comes to tell these people the good news that death is truly defeated Because, dear ones, if our body stays in the ground, then death has won in some way. If our body is never raised, if my carbon atoms aren't put together in some new way, then how in the world can I say that death has lost its sting? And so Paul tells us in the end, Christ will come and with a shout, he will call these perishable bodies from the earth. That all who have died in Christ will return with him. And their bodies will be called up first. And so we will all be called up, he says. Not in some fanciful, crazy rapture story about the church getting drugged out of the earth. But an end time truth of resurrection for judgment. That all of us, just as Daniel the prophet said, will be raised. Those who are believers in God and those who are not. The just to life and the wicked to death. Judgment comes, Paul says, but first is resurrection. And so he preaches to these people about the resurrection, and he calls them to repent, to turn away from their idols, and turn to the one in whom they truly live and move and have their being. And that's how we know he's tied to that poet, because Epimenides wrote that line. He wrote the line about us living and moving and having our being and whoever was the utmost God. To Epimenides' mind at the time, it was Zeus. But Paul is making that claim that it's the God who raised Jesus from the dead. The one who raised Jesus is that unknown God, the highest God, 
the one who can deliver us from sin and death. And in the very last of this, that's written for us by Luke of this story, is the kernel of the truth of the gospel that can grow up in you into a beautiful tree. The kernel of the seed of the gospel. Jesus died and was raised, and Jesus will judge us. And that's good news, because what Paul is saying to us is that the one who died for us, the one who gave his very life for us, the one who gave body, soul, and spirit over for us, the one who embraced our death as his own, the one who took our own sin on him, that one who loves you that much will be the one who will judge you. That's good news. The same Christ who died for us is the Christ who will judge us. We will be judged in love, raised to new life and a new creation, not disembodied spirits playing harps on puffy clouds. And this matters. This is the story that Paul gave his life for. Increasingly in the book of Acts, he gets in trouble for preaching resurrection. Increasingly, until he loses his life for preaching resurrection. Specifically, the resurrection of Jesus and then all of us thereafter. Got him called a seed picker. I don't think he cared. I think Paul was happy to be insulted for Jesus' sake. And the only victory lap done in this story was done in the hearts of those people who believed. Those people who repented and gave themselves over to the hope of resurrection from the dead. This is our hope, dear ones. The people of Christ will be raised up to new life. Don't let go of it. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.